We are in Luke chapter 10 today and jumping into uh, the start of chapter 11. Um, I love food. Anybody else in the room just love food? Would anybody call themselves a foodie in the room? Like you, if you go somewhere on a trip, you're going to try to find something unique or interesting or really, really good to eat. Okay. My wife does not care about food. So one of the many conflicts we have in marriage is, hey, where do you want to eat? I don't care. Okay, that's real helpful. Thanks. Um, but uh, I love food. And uh, probably my, I don't know, this is hard because I'm going off the cuff here. I didn't write this, but I thought about it as I was standing on the pew up there. Um, I love food and I love barbecue. And my father-in-law loves barbecue too. And there's certain bites in barbecue that people call the best bite. Uh, and there, there's, some, there's some disagreement. Some would say it's the fatty, moist brisket. Some would say it's a beef rib. Some would say, you know, everybody's got their opinion, right? But everybody can kind of think, what is that best bite? Or maybe you're more of a Mexican food person, and it's, it's, it's that first bite of cheese enchilada, maybe for some of you. Or maybe some of you, it's the beef fajita meat, right? That's probably my best bite. Uh, and I say all this to say this. This morning, Jesus is talking about two things that we're going to look at. He's talking about reading the Bible, and he's talking about prayer. He's talking about God's Word, how God speaks to us, and he's talking about prayer, how we speak to God and hear from God. And he calls it the good portion. And it it just means something similar to the best bite, right? It's the best bite that we could have. It's that, it's that thing that we just, man, I can't wait. Man, maybe you're more of a dessert person. I'm just now realizing this in the room. Some of you don't care about food. You care about dessert. And so maybe it's that first bite of an apple pie or that, that first bite of a cheesecake with some cherry drizzled over top. Y'all hungry yet? Okay. Um, maybe it's a Dr. Pepper and a Snickers. Maybe you're more a simple person. But we can all, <laughs> we're not taking a vote. Uh, we can all think of that best portion, the good portion. And what Jesus today is going to do is he's going to reorient Mary and Martha and his disciples away from the things that are not the best portion and point them to the best portion. Because the reality is every one of us, when it comes to food, we probably make some pretty unhealthy choices. We probably don't eat the things that we really should be eating. We eat the things we like to eat. And you can tell sometimes. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm not, yeah, anyway. Jesus is trying to keep us this morning from being distracted with all kinds of other things. And he's trying to point us to the good portion. So let's look at it. This is Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
Let's keep going. Verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me pray. God, we come into this room with so many distractions and so many um, directions and so many um, different priorities. And God, as we read your word and as it, it corrects us and it points us to what is really good for us, what, what the good portion is, God, I pray that that we would um, not just feel something today, like, man, I need to read my Bible more, or man, I need to spend more time in prayer. God, but I pray that we would have deep conviction, not just conviction of what we've done wrong, but conviction to do something. God, and that we would see that this is the good portion. This is the best bite. This is the, the, the thing that is to be enjoyed the most is spending time with you, is presence with you, is learning from you, is, is communicating with you. What a privilege that is, God. And may we not see this as a burden or as a, as a task, but as a joy and as a delight. And so I pray this morning as we, as we talk about your word, God, that you would, you would speak. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. I may not make it through this with my voice, okay? So just, if I just... Tap out at some point, we'll just pray, and we'll leave, okay? So let's look at it. Jesus comes to a village. Remember the last, probably the next 10 chapters, Jesus is on a journey from the north down to Jerusalem, where he's ultimately going to be crucified and buried and resurrected. And he comes to this village, um, and he, he enters into a town. It's probably Bethany. And he, he enters a house, Remember, he told his disciples, when you go, find a person of peace. If they welcome you, stay. And Jesus found a person of, of peace, Martha and Mary. They're sisters. And they have a brother, Lazarus, who we're going to learn about later. Um, but he comes into their house, and Martha welcomes him. 
Now, they're going to become great friends. They're going to have some other experiences down the road that are, that are fantastic and incredible stories for us to learn from. And Martha's going to become this awesome, faith-filled, convictional woman of faith, okay? But on this day, not so much. She's very excited to welcome Jesus. And I picture her like I picture my little mama running around just taking care of business, right? She's, she's changing sheets. I don't know why. She's, she's washing stuff. She's wiping certain things down that, that she wiped down yesterday, but still she's wiping them down. And she's got two hot pads stuck between her armpits just running around frantically. This is the picture I get in my mind of my sweet little mama, if you can picture her. And uh, Martha this day is spun out because Jesus is coming to stay there. And there's going to be a crowd. There's going to be a lot of people. And there's going to be a lot of expectation on her to take care of these people. And so she gets busy doing what she's supposed to be doing. Now, she has a sister, Mary. And Mary does not stick the hot pads under her arms. And she does not change the sheets. And she does not go about anything. What does Mary do that day? It says that Mary situated herself at the feet of Jesus. Which is to say that Mary did not leave his sight. She did not walk away from him. She wanted to hear every word that he said. This position at his feet is what disciples do to rabbis in this day. They sat down, the rabbi sat up, and they sat and they learned. It's not normal for a woman in their culture to take this, this place. But on this day, Mary sits down and says, I want to learn I want to be taught. Teach me, Rabbi. Disciples are those who hear God's word, and they do it. Now, what it says, if you look at it in verse um, 40, it says, Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. While Mary is devoted to God's word, to sitting and learning and teaching, Martha is distracted. And she's distracted with much serving. She's doing all the things. Now the word for distracted, uh, we may think like ADD, like, oh, squirrel, right? No, that's not it. The word means to be dragged away. So um, it's almost the picture of being tied up and forced to go somewhere else against your will being dragged away. So Martha is being dragged away. She's being tied up. She is, in a sense, enslaved to what? To her serving, to her accomplishing of these tasks, to her hospitality. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with showing hospitality. There is nothing wrong with doing the things that she's doing. It's expected, and it's a form of love and service and all those things. But it is a problem if we are dragged away by it. It is a problem if we are distracted by it. It's, it's like anything in life, it's about a balance. And Martha's life has gotten out of balance. She's so wrapped up in making food, taking care of things, serving needs, that she has missed the most important thing of that day. And she has let that drag her around and taken all of her priorities out of whack, and she's missed the chance to sit and learn from Jesus. Now Martha, look at verse 40. Uh, 
Verse 40, the end of it. She said, she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. See, at first, Martha is pumped. Jesus is there. She's full of joy. She's excited. Jesus is here. There's friends. I get to cook. All this stuff. She's, she's got joy in this. But as the day goes on, as she sees Martha, Mary not doing anything, and she's working her tail off, that, that joy kind of fades. Let's just put it that way. And it turns into a little frustration. And then it turns into uh, anger. So much so that she lashes out not at her sister. Who did she lash out at? Jesus. She lashes out at Jesus because she's frustrated with her sister because she is not helping. And so she goes to Jesus, and her question is, look at it, what does she say? Lord, do you not care? She, she is so out of whack with her service and being distracted by all this stuff that now she assumes Jesus doesn't even care. She's taken this to a whole nother level. She's questioning the compassionate nature of Jesus. And so she even tells Jesus, you need to tell her to help me. Forget what you're doing. What I'm doing is most important, and I'm here to tell you, you tell her to help me. It's pretty bold to assume Jesus doesn't care. And it's pretty bold to tell Jesus, this is what you should be doing. But Martha's priorities are so out of whack that she thinks that her plans and her tasks are more important than what Jesus has. So what does Jesus do? The Lord answers her. Look at verse 41. He says, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Anybody say that in their family? Anybody use that line around the house? Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Jesus speaks to her. He uses her name twice, and he's showing, yes, I do care, Martha, Martha. He didn't say it sarcastically like I would have, but he, he, he identifies the problem. The problem is not that Mary's not serving. The problem is that you're anxious, and you're troubled, and you're distracted. You're held captive to your serving This anxiety, this troubledness is causing her to miss the one thing, to miss the good portion. And he tells her, only one thing is necessary. What What an incredible thought, one thing is necessary. All the other stuff may be important. All the other priorities we have in life, worthwhile. It's good. It's not bad. But he says, one thing is necessary. What is this one thing What is this good portion? In this context, what is it? It's listening to the word of God. That's it. He says Mary has chosen the good portion. Instead of rebuking Mary like Martha wants him to, Jesus praises her. And he says, no, 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 no. You're the one out of whack. She's chosen the good portion. She's chosen the best part. She's chosen the best bite. She's doing the one thing that is necessary. She's not being dragged away by all sorts of other priorities or all sorts of other tasks. She's focused on the one thing that is necessary. Man, as I read this this week, 
And then as I lived my life and I come to this morning at this point, I am Martha. Can I just confess that this morning? I am Martha. And so you can call me Martha, Martha after this. And it's so easy for me, and I'm just speaking for me, I can't guarantee that this is your place in life or not, but it's so easy for me to get so distracted by all the priorities, by all the things that do need to get done, by the family and the, the wife and the kids and the job and the, the stuff. I, it's so easy to be dragged away by those things and to miss the one thing that is necessary the one thing that I actually need, which is to spend time with God, which is to have a relationship with God, which is to fellowship and hear from Him and speak to Him and cast my cares on Him and to receive from Him and be filled. And I'm so distracted by my to-do list. It's a mile long that I'm, that I'm a slave to it. And, and I, I'm sure none of you were like this, so I'm just, I'm just preaching to myself this morning. But I've missed the one thing it's so easy to miss the one thing. My, my job is to the one thing. <laughs> and it's so easy to miss the one thing. It's so easy. Too many days go by without making this the one thing. Without making this the one thing. I make everything else the one thing. The, the most important thing. The priority. The need. And Jesus today, and it's appropriate today, because he reminds us. No, what you actually need is to be like Mary, not like Martha. You need to sit down. You need to stop. And you need to let some of the to-do list go. And you need to sit and you need to spend time with me through my word and through prayer. Now, I want to keep going because I think the next part is equally as important. Yes, we need to prioritize hearing and, and understanding the word of God, but we also need to prioritize speaking and talking and communicating with and hearing from the Father. So let's look at chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. As the disciples had spent time with Jesus, they had heard him pray. And, and let me just put it this way. They, they, there was a very stark difference between the way that Jesus prayed and the way that the Jewish leaders prayed. The Jewish leaders um, prayed um, repetitive, um, scripted, um, even loud prayers that was way more about kind of following the rules or, or a certain physical experience or a certain recognition from others. And, and they looked at Jesus and they're like, you don't pray like them. You pray differently. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. We want to pray like you pray. So many Jewish prayers were just vain repetition or meaningless words. And the Gentile prayers that they prayed in their, their temples and stuff, they were even worse. 
They were almost more like incantations or like, if we just say the right words, then this God will have to do something for me. It's glorified manipulation. And they're looking at Jesus and they're going, you don't pray like them. You don't pray like that. So Lord, teach us to pray like you. And so Jesus turns to them and he says, when you pray. Now, you got to understand this because I think we've missed this in some ways. Jesus is not giving them a direct prayer to pray. He's not telling them, recite this and that's it. That's not what he's doing. Because that's, that's the world that they came from. They, they already knew the prayers to recite, to repeat, to say. Jesus is giving them a framework, a pattern. He's giving them priorities, things to actually pray about, ways to pray. Not just, hey, repeat this phrase and you'll be good, right? The gods will be pleased. God will give you what you want if you just say it this way. So it's not meant for us to recite ritualistically, which... If anybody was on a high school football team in Texas at any point in life, you recited the Lord's Prayer. Any athletic team I ever was a part of in high school recited the Lord's Prayer. And none of them jokers even went to church that I played with. But they knew the Lord's Prayer. And in some reason in our mind, we thought, man, if we recite this, maybe we won't be Huntington anymore. And maybe we'll actually compete here, right? I don't know what we thought was going to happen. But for some reason, we prayed more like the Jews and prayed more like the Gentiles than we did like Jesus. And so Jesus here, let's, let's learn from it. And we're not going to, man, you could spend, we could spend weeks on this passage and we're not. Not for any reason. We're just, we're going to keep moving. But let's learn from it. Jesus first says, Father. Father. Now, Jesus has called God Father previously, and we saw that um, he was claiming to be the Son of God. He was claiming to be the same essence as God. That's when he tells us to pray, Father, we're not claiming to be God, okay, when we pray. But we are recognizing that he is our Father, that we come from him, that he is um, all the best things that fathers are supposed to be. Because we are in Christ, we are a co-heir with him. That means that we are now sons and daughters. And we can address him as father. We don't address him as boss. Um, we don't address him as master. He says, pray, father. Now, this does not mean um, that we come to him as manipulative kids, trying to manipulate him to get what we want. No, we speak to him as our loving, heavenly Father. Prayer is meant to be a relationship between us and our Father. And I, and I know for some of you, because of your relationship with your earthly Father, that might be hard. It may not be easy to address him as father, but God is all the best things that a father has ever been, and even better. And he is a good father who wants to speak to his kids. If you don't hear anything else today, he wants to commune with you. He does not want to keep you at a distance. He wants to draw near. So we pray, Father. He says, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. 
Listen, I think I was like 30 years old before I learned what the word hallowed mean, means. And I don't think that's even how you pronounce it. I think that's the Huntington, Texas pronunciation. Hallowed is probably the correct pronunciation. But we say hallowed. I don't know why. Hallowed be your name. We address God as Father, meaning that this is a personal, intimate relationship But we immediately say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means worshipped, praised, set apart. And so we address him intimately because he is our father. We have a relationship. But we still address him with reverence and fear and worship. Because his name is set apart from all other names. Now, if you don't take anything else from this, hallowed be your name. We're praying that God's name would be known. His name would be worshipped and revered in our own lives, in, in our church's lives, in our community's lives. We want God to be known, just like we know him as Father. So we're praying, God, we know you. God, we want to see others know you. We, we have a relationship with you. We want to see others have a relationship with you. That thought continues when he says, your kingdom come. This prayer is a recognition that he's not just father, but he is a king who rules over all things. And we're praying that that his rule would be established in our lives first, meaning that we would submit everything to him, but that that rule would spread in Huntington, and in our family, in our schools, in all the places. We want his name to be known. We want his kingship to be known in all the world. And so we're praying prayers primarily, first, of salvation. We are praying prayers because we're so prone to come to him with just our needs. And we're going to get to that here in a second. But we should be praying for his kingdom to come, for his gospel to spread, for his name to be worshipped and cherished and submitted to in all of the world. We're giving him control and we're giving him ownership and we're releasing that from ourselves and these are big picture prayers. And these may be harder for you to pray than, than, than the earthly needs. And we're going to get to those here in a second. But it's important that we have a big perspective when we pray. We're addressing God, the Father, the ruler of all things. And we're praying for him to move. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Yes, we should pray for these big, umbrella, cosmic realities that God's kingdom would come, that his, his name would be known. And we're, as kids, we should also bring the smallest, most minute things to him. Give us each day our daily bread. Bread is a symbol here for not just physical bread, but it's a symbol for all that we need. The basics, the needs, the fundamentals, the staples. It is not a selfish prayer to pray, God, you know our family needs this. God, we pray that you would provide. That is not a selfish prayer. We have a God who cares about us, and he wants to meet our needs. But we are, in a sense, we are praying 
I'd meet my needs. We're praying against poverty and we're praying against excess wealth. There's, there's Proverbs about this that, that, that say, Lord, don't make me in poverty because then I'll be tempted to steal and to hurt others. And Lord, don't make me extremely rich because then I'll, I'll be tempted to forget you. God, give me my daily bread. That's what I want. I don't want temptation for this way or this way. And so we are to pray for our needs. God wants to meet your needs. He does. Now here's the, here's the reality. Some people take this passage and say, man, if we just pray about it, God's kind of forced to do it. If we just pray about it, then God will have to do it. He'll have to give me what uh, I need. And God certainly can, and he may. I don't know for sure. But we are not to pray this and then just sit on our rear end. Just like we pray for salvation, that doesn't mean that we all of a sudden are free of the obligation to go and proclaim the gospel. We still pray for salvation, but we also go. We pray for our needs to be met, but we also work hard to meet our needs. Does that make sense? It's both. Lord, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Just as we're to pray for very basic, physical, earthly needs that our Father wants to meet, we're to pray for very basic, spiritual needs. And two of those are to be forgiven, and to give forgiveness. Forgive us. Forgive us. You should spend time when you pray confessing sin, confessing where you've fallen short. Why? Because you have a Father who loves you, who wants to receive you and extend grace and mercy. But we should also pray for the strength to forgive others. We should pray that the forgiveness that we've been shown would move our feet to forgive those around us. Man, I know I need to pray for that. <laughs> it's easy to pray for, God, forgive me. It's harder to pray. Help me to forgive others. But it's both. And lastly, he says, and lead us not into temptation. We're praying here. God, help me to walk closer and closer with you. Help me not to go back to that lifestyle. Help me not to go back to that thing that I, that I so want. God, help me to walk closer to you. Help me to commune with you. Help me to be with you. That's this prayer. We're praying that, God, help me to live a God-honoring life as a boss or as a husband. God, help me to, to grow in maturity and not, not, not be like I was when I was immature in the faith. God, help me to grow. Help me to mature. We should be praying for that. Man, as I studied this this week, and, and I've just quickly glazed over the surface of what he has talked about, it reminds me of how much and how many ways we can pray. Our Father wants to have a relationship with us. We have so many ways that we can bring prayer to him. And Jesus spends the last little bit addressing why. Why should we pray? And the answer is this. God wants to hear our prayers. God is a good father who is eager to hear our prayers. And he has what we need. He has the resources. So let's just look at it very, very quickly. Verses 5 through 10. 
Jesus tells a story. He gives an example. Um, and, and this would have made a lot of sense to them. I, I don't think it makes any sense to us because we don't sleep in one-bedroom rooms with all of our kids in the bed with us and loaves of bread and travelers and all. There's hotels and there's stuff like that. Right? But, but in this context, Jesus tells a story about basic friendship to show us that God is even better than the best of friends that we have on this earth, okay? So he tells a story of a man who's asleep in his house, and his neighbor comes and says, hey, give me three loaves. I've got a friend coming, and i got nothing. And he says, the guy goes, no way. I'm asleep. I'm not getting up. I'm not doing that. But what happens? Eventually, the guy keeps knocking. Hey, I need three loaves. Hey, I need three loaves. And because of his uh, persistence, the man finally gives in. And the point is this, if we have real friends and they have the resources to help us, then they will, right? That's just basic human friendship. And what's the point? That God is no different and he is even better than that. He has the resources and he's willing to help. He wants us to come to him with our needs. God is not bothered by your requests, Any fathers in the room bothered by their children's requests sometimes? (laughs) Any mothers bothered by your children's requests sometimes? Yes. Yes. You may not raise your hand right now, but I know you experienced that, okay? God is not bothered by our request. He wants us to come to him with our needs. And then Jesus gives an example of very basic fatherhood. Look at verse 11 through 13. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Again, I I don't know. I mean, the choice of words here doesn't fit in our culture. Um, But he's saying, if a a kid comes to a father and says, I need something to eat. Can I have a snack? Can I have some fish? Can I have an egg? Good fathers, some of you may have had this father who gave you a scorpion gave you a serpent but good fathers do not when their kids have a legitimate need for food hand them something that will harm them right that's real basic fatherhood there's your lesson for the day guys don't give your kids scorpions and he's saying this god is no different and he's even better that God doesn't hear our request for a thing that we need or, or us crying out, God, help us, give us direction, give us mercy, whatever it is we're crying out. He doesn't hear that and go, I can't believe you would ask for that. Pow! Lightning. And so many of us think that that's God's reaction to us, that, that, that he doesn't, he's bothered by our request or he doesn't want to hear what we have to say. No, he wants to give us the best. And I want you to see how this ends, and then we're done. Verse 13, he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, know how much more the Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them. And what an interesting turn this takes. Because he doesn't say how much your Heavenly Father will give fish and serpents or fish and eggs he says how much more will the heavenly father give what the holy spirit to those who ask and so what is jesus pointing to here 
He's pointing to the same thing that he pointed to Mary and Martha, and he's taught his disciples to pray that the one thing, the best thing, the best bite is what? Is presence and fellowship with God. It's God himself. That's what we need more than anything, more than, more than a cup of tea, more than direction. No, no, God, I need you to be with me. And he says, our Father has all the resources of the world. And when we cry out to him, what is he going to give us? He's going to give us the Holy Spirit that will guide us and comfort us and protect us and lead us and teach us. That is the good portion. is <laughs> time with God through his word and through prayer and through the Holy Spirit. Man, the question today is this. How are we taking advantage of that? Are we so distracted and so consumed with everything else that we have neglected the one thing, that we've missed the good portion? And just wherever you're at, I want you to bow your head right now. And, and the band's going to come, and I'm going to pray in a second, and we're going we're gonna to sing a song. But before we kind of rush out of here, before we do what we normally do and cause more distraction. I just want you to take a minute where you're at and pray. Maybe think about what it is that's distracting you from devotion. Think about maybe your spiritual disciplines and all of that, but but more than that, think about this correction today. This call back to God himself. This call back to God is not bothered by us. God wants a relationship with us. And we choose so many other things, but God really just wants us to spend time on the one thing. I just want you to take a minute where you're at and just pray. Pray that God would redirect your focus this week. He would reorient your priorities. He would release the chains of all the, all the things that are dragging you around and holding you captive. And that he would give you the Holy Spirit. Just take a minute and pray, and then I'll pray. Father, we come to you as very busy people and very consumed people with all sorts of priorities. And God, forgive us where we try to tell you that this is what you should do. God, I pray that that your name would be worshipped in our lives. Your name would be set apart. Your glory would be established, God. God, we pray that your kingdom would come, that we would submit our lives fully to you. God, and we would see that happen all around us, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, in our marriages. God, may your kingdom come. God, we pray that you would forgive us where we fail you, God, and we would come to you with our needs. We would confess where we've fallen short, and we would receive the grace that you offer so freely. God, I pray that we'd be about the one thing which is a a relationship with you. So we love you this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.